God, we thank you that in the midst of uncertainty that our weary souls can still rejoice because of who you are, because of your character and your faithfulness. We thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good morning, everyone. My name is Cheryl, and I am one of the Family Life Pastors here at Glad Tidings. Some of you might not know or recognize me. I am usually with Lift Kids, having church, and having fun with God's favorite people, just saying. Um, but I am super excited to share with you today on this Sunday before Christmas. Are you guys all ready? Is your shopping done? Some of you are saying, shopping done? I still have 125 hours left. What's the rush? Are your presents wrapped? Are your cookies made? You know, my friend of mine thought it was very strange that I would do this when cookies are made, and I, I don't do this. I said, did you know they come in this wonderful tube and you just cut them? That is how cookies are made in my house. <laughs> I am no baker, but I do love Christmas. I love the smells and the sounds and the decorations and the Christmas movies about a girl who falls in love with someone from her past. Then there's a misunderstanding. And you're never quite sure if they're going to get back together. It's so unpredictable. You just It leaves you on the edge of your seat every time. Ah, Christmas. Well, we are continuing our Christmas series on this, the third Sunday of Advent, and we have been learning that it is a time of celebrating the incarnation of Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us, and how that event changed all of history. Joy is one word that we see a lot at Christmas. It's on cards, on ornaments, decorations, it's on people's lawns, it's all around us. And I think, my friends, especially this Christmas, this Advent season 2021, there is no better time to talk about joy. With over 400 total references to joy and rejoicing in the Bible, I think we can safely say that it's a major theme that God wants to talk to us about. As I was studying, I realized there are so many references to joy in the Christmas story found both in the Gospels of Matthew and in Luke. At the very beginning of the book of of Luke, Mary had just found out she was pregnant, and the angel appeared to her and told Mary that her relative Elizabeth was also expecting a child in her old age. Verse 35 of Luke 1 says this, The angel replied, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the baby to be born will be holy, and he will be called the Son of God. What's more, your relative, Elizabeth, has become pregnant in her old age. People used to say she was barren, but but she has conceived a a son and is now in her sixth month. For the word of God will never fail. So Mary went to visit Elizabeth a few days later, and in the same chapter, verse 41, it says this, At the sound of Mary's greeting, Elizabeth's child leaped within her, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Elizabeth gave a glad cry and exclaimed to Mary, God has blessed you above all women, and your child is blessed. Why am I so honored that the mother of my Lord should visit me? When I heard your greeting, the baby in my womb jumped for joy. Say that with me. Jumped 
for joy. If you are at a spot right now that you can jump for joy, jump for joy. Verse 45 says, you are blessed because you believed what the Lord would, that the Lord would do what he said. Mary's response in verse 46 is, my soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. And in verse 57, later in the chapter, when Elizabeth's neighbors and friends and relatives heard that the Lord had shown mercy to her, it says that they shared her joy. I'm wondering if you could, maybe you can stand, maybe you can gather all your your kids around you, and we're going to read the Christmas story. At that time, the Roman Emperor Augustus decreed that a census should be taken throughout the Roman Empire. This was the first census taken when Quirinius was governor of Syria. All returned to their own ancestral towns to register for this census. And because Joseph was a descendant of King David, he had to go to Bethlehem in Judea, David's ancient home. He traveled there from the village of Nazareth in Galilee. He took, took with them Mary, to whom he was engaged, who was now expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for her baby to be born. She gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger, because there was no lodging available for them. That night, there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of God's glory surrounded them. They were terrified. But the angel reassured them, Don't be afraid, he said. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. And you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth, lying in a manger. Suddenly, the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven, praising God and saying, Glory to God in highest heaven, and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. And in Matthew chapter 2, we have wise men from the east, just going to say that lots of wise people come from the east, who were sent by King Herod to find baby Jesus. It took them a couple months to find him, and they were led by this star, and it says in verse 9 this, And the star they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. It went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house and saw the child with his mother Mary. They bowed down and worshipped him. And they opened their treasure chest and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. The most common word for joy in the Greek is kara, and it appears about 60 times in the New Testament. According to Strong's Concordance, kara means joy, a calm delight, to lean towards, or an inner gladness. It's related to kairo, which means to rejoice, and charis, which means grace. Therefore, kara is this beautiful picture of what it means to rejoice because of grace. It is the awareness of God's favor and his grace toward us and our reaction to it. In order to properly define joy, I think maybe we have to talk about what biblical joy is not. Joy is not happiness. See, I think our discomfort with the word joy tends to be its association with happiness. Jesus came to bring us joy, 
not happiness. Happiness is external. It's temporary. It's based on what is happening around us. Joy is deep. It's not surfacey. It's inward. Joy is internal and not based on our situation. Biblical joy is not based on our possessions or our situation or our circumstances. Warren Wearsby defines joy as this, an inward peace and sufficiency that is not affected by outward circumstances. Thirdly, joy is not a feeling. Steve Furtick says that joy is a focus before it is a feeling. Sometimes we have to choose to have joy. It's a choice. It's a mindset. Paul, in the book of Corinthians, knew this kind of joy. He was beaten. He was shipwrecked. He was imprisoned. And he still said, in all my affliction, I am overflowing with joy. I think our suspicion of joy might come from the view that there doesn't seem to be something quite right about joy. It doesn't seem natural or intuitive. It's just a little off. Have you ever met some of those super joyful people that are just a little off? I am drawn to those people. I love those people. They fascinate me. You see, when we place our hope and our confidence in God, it gives us this kind of unusual joy because we trust him completely. My favorite definition of joy so far is by Kay Warren, and she says this, Joy is the settled assurance that God is in control of all the details of my life. The quiet confidence that ultimately everything is going to be all right. And the determined choice to praise God in all things. I want to recognize this year has been tough for most of us. So many losses in such a short amount of time is hard on our mental health, hard on our physical bodies, and our spiritual well-being as well. I have found that disappointment is one of the greatest joy robbers there is. And that comes from unmet expectations. You might have disappointment with God, with your friends, with your marriage, with your current life situation. And I think disappointment causes us to doubt God's goodness. Maybe not his goodness in general, or maybe not his goodness to other people, but it certainly helps us to doubt his goodness to us. And sometimes, my friends, we have to fight for joy. And it's hard. It's really hard. We have to make a choice to see beyond our circumstances, and that is way easier said than done, especially in a season we find ourselves in. So one of the ways we can teach or train ourselves uh, to be joyful is to remind our souls who God is. Remember who God is. I am convinced, my friends, that if we can get a glimpse, just a small glimpse of how much God is for us, how much he loves us, how much he is on our side, that we would trust him completely. I'm going to ask two amazing young men, Mikhail and Jaden, to come and help me illustrate this by going through every book of the Bible and tell us who God is. In Genesis, God is our creator. In Exodus, the Passover lamb. In Leviticus, he is our high priest. In Numbers, he is our pillar. In Deuteronomy, he is like the prophet Moses. In Joshua, he is our commander. In Judges, he is our judge. 
In Ruth, he is our Redeemer. In First and Second Samuels, he is the seed of David. In Kings and Chronicles, he is our reigning king. In Ezra, he is our faithful scribe. In Nehemiah, he is our rebuilder of everything broken. In Esther, he is our advocate. In Job, he is our ever-living Redeemer. In Psalms, he is our shepherd. In Proverbs, he is our wisdom. In Ecclesiastes, he is our meaning for life. In Songs of Solomon, he is the loving bridegroom. In Isaiah, he is the prince of peace. In Jeremiah and Lamentations, he is the weeping prophet. In Ezekiel, the glorious Lord. In Daniel, he is the fourth man in the fiery furnace. In Hosea, he is faithful. In Joel, he is the outpourer of the Holy Spirit. In Amos, he is our burden bearer. In Obadiah, he is our judge. In Jonah, he is the risen prophet. In Micah, he is the ruler of the world. In Nahum, he is our stronghold. In Habakkuk, he is the watchman. In Zephaniah, he is the mighty to save. In Haggai, he is the restorer. In Zechariah, he is the branch of David. And in Malachi, he is the son of righteousness. In Matthew, he is the Messiah. In Mark, he is the servant. In Luke, he is the son of man. In John, he is the living word. In Acts, he is the savior of the world. In Romans, he is the justifier. In 1 Corinthians, he is our resurrection. In 2 Corinthians, he is our comfort. In Galatians, he is our liberty. In Ephesians, he is the head of the church. In Philippians, he is our joy. In Colossians, he is our completeness. In First and Second Thessalonians, he is the coming king. In First and Second Timothy, he is the me he is our mediator. In Philemon, he is our benefactor. In Titus, the blessed hope. In Hebrew, he is our perfection. In James, he is the power behind our faith. In First and Second Peter, he is our cornerstone. In First, Second, and Third John, he is our truth. In Jude, he is our security. In Revelations, he is the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. He is the first and last, the beginning and the end. He is the keeper of creation and the creator of all he's the architect of the universe and the manager of all times he always was he always is and he always will be unmoved unchanged undefeated but never undone he is light love longevity and lord he is goodness kindness gentleness and god he is holy righteous mighty powerful and pure his his ways are right. His word is eternal. His will is unchanging. And his mind is almost. He is my redeemer. He is my savior. He is my guide. He is my comfort. He is my hope. And my peace. And, and his joy is my strength. Thank you, Mikhail and Jaden. I could never have said it better myself. See how that worked, everyone? I feel full. I, hearing all those names of who God is, it fills me. See, joy is this continual gladness of heart that comes from knowing and experiencing and therefore trusting Jesus. This is why we want to put our kids in environments and our students that they experience God. Because knowing about God is great, but we have to experience him for ourselves. 
Martin Lloyd-Jones says this, joy is the response and the reaction of our soul to the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. I love that. Number two, remember whose you are. From the very beginning of creation and the fall, God had a plan. I don't know about you, but I love a good plan. He promised to send a Messiah to save us from our sins. He had a plan to redeem us, to bring us back in right relationship with him. You see, we have a problem, a sin problem. We all fall short, and this brings distance between us and God and robs us of the joy that that relationship has He had a plan to redeem us and reunite us with him. He would send his only son, Jesus, to fix our sin problem by dying on a cruel cross and bringing us back in relationship with him. He loves us that much. Remember whose you are. I don't have joy because of the things I have. I have joy because of whose I am. I don't have faith in my intellect, my money, my stuff. I have faith in a real living God who came down to humanity as a helpless baby simply because he wants to have relationship with me. Emmanuel, God with us. God wants our joy with him to be overflowing and he knows it's only possible when we are in relationship with him. We have been bought with a price. We are his See, when Jesus came to earth, he was a living example of what God was like. He encouraged us to remain close to God, saying, I have told you these things so you will be filled with my joy. John 15, 11, your joy will be overflowing. Remain close to God is one of the best ways to have this abundance of joy in our lives. Thirdly, we need to remember what he's done. In the years and centuries before Christ's birth, God's people waited in joyful expectation for a promised Messiah. Their joy would be an outpouring of their faith of what God would do. There was an expectancy, a a wondering, a curiosity about how and when God would act. 700 years before his birth, it was proclaimed in Isaiah 9, verses 6 and 7, for unto us A child is born, a son is given, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His government and its peace will never end. To get the full effect of what his birth meant, we have to go back to the Old Testament. You see, the Israelites waited for hundreds of years for the Messiah and joyfully expected his coming to deliver them from their oppressors. So when John the Baptist jumped for joy in his mama's belly, it was because God was acting on his promise to send a Messiah. When the angels proclaimed great joy to all people, they were telling everyone that the long-awaited Savior was here. God acted. Emmanuel, God with us. God's people had joy because they anticipated a time when the promised Messiah would come. And as we see hundreds of years later in the Christmas story, this expectant joy had gone off the charts. By the end of the second chapter of Luke, there's hardly a single person in the Christmas story that is not associated with the word joy. 
Angels are singing about it and sharing it. Women are feeling it. Babies are leaping toward it. The shepherds are scrambling to Bethlehem to find it. And wise men are journeying toward it. It's contagious. There is an expectancy in the air that is almost tangible. You see, there is this natural sense of joy when we look back and see God's faithfulness. And that gives us great expectancy of what God will do based on what he has done. So number four is remember to look forward. Advent is not only looking back when Jesus came to earth as a baby, it's also looking forward. The references to joy that we talked about in the Christmas story have this element of forward-looking. Zechariah was told that the baby his wife was carrying would be a joy and delight to you. Mary's joy was forward-looking. I rejoice in God, my Savior. Mary anticipates God's justice and his righteousness and his deliverance. The angels were forward-looking. I don't know about you, but I don't think this was some really quiet choir, like, oh, I think they were screaming. I think they were loud. I think they were saying, don't you know who we are sending you tonight? You have no idea how the world is going to change. We are sending you Jesus, our Jesus. He is the one you have been waiting for. The wise men were also filled with hope and faith that God would fulfill his promise. So much so that they traveled for months to find him. And when they did, they were filled with joy. Joy is continually looking forward. It requires faith. And it's connected to hope and peace that we've already talked about in this series. The hope that although the kingdom of God is presently here, shining light into our broken world, it is also not yet. And we will look forward with expectation to a world that will someday be without pain and loneliness and grief and brokenness. See, during Christmas, we celebrate the first coming of our Lord because it's the beginning of the good news. But we joyfully expect his second coming when he will reign forever and experience the fullness of his joy. It's easier to be full of rejoicing when you see God at work, right? It's harder when you don't. It's easier to be joyful after we've witnessed the miracle, isn't it? So how can we be joyful in the situation? What about when disappointment overshadows everything? What about when the darkness hides him? And sometimes I think it's a bit more difficult for us because we read familiar stories in the Bible for the ending. We know how some of the great Bible stories end for the people involved. We know that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were not consumed by the fiery furnace and didn't even smell like smoke. We know that Daniel did not get eaten by hungry lions. We know that Noah and his family were spared. But what we overlook sometimes is the journey to get there. We are uncomfortable in life's pauses when nothing seems to be happening. We are uncomfortable in life's pauses. We just want to get to the happily ever after, don't we? I wonder what it would be like if we tried to read the Bible and not finish the story. What must have Joseph felt in the well betrayed by his brothers? How exhausted 
was Noah from building the boat and trying to convince people to come aboard? How did Mary and Martha cope with the death of their brother and the disappointment when Jesus was not there at the beginning? To wonder what Jesus really felt on the cross, to live in the moment instead of fast-forwarding to the miracle. And I know that's where some of you have been living for quite some time. It's a little easier to feel joyful on the other side of the miracle. It's harder to be joyful in the middle of the storm, in the middle of the pain, in the middle of the unknown. As I said, I love Christmas. But in the middle of the amazing parts of Christmas, there is a memory for me that identifies with one of the most disappointing times in my life. Some of you know my story, so I'm going to allow you to have a five to seven minute nap right now, grab a coffee. And some of you don't, so I thought I would share a bit of it with you today. On December 24th, Christmas Eve 2011, in the morning, my husband Jason and I sat across from a doctor who told us that we would never be able to have children of our own. The percentage was low. It was zero. It was devastating. It was confusing. We were shocked, and over the next few months, we would grieve the loss of that dream. That was all I wanted to be, was a mom. I didn't understand, and I was sad and confused and disappointed. I really didn't want to believe that my dream of being a mom was gone. And I don't know about you, but sometimes in those darkest, deepest moments, the enemy's voice seems loud. And he would say things like this. How can you be a family life pastor and not even have a family at your age? Is that how God treats someone who served him their whole lives? See how he wants us to doubt God's goodness? Jason and I were in shock as we walked to our car from the doctor's office that day. And I don't know where it came out of. Quickly and matter-of-factly, I sat down and I said, Well, God loves zero. He loves to show up when it's impossible. That's his specialty. I would say it hundreds more times over the course of the next year. And we prayed for a miracle. I put stickers all over my office that said, nothing is impossible with God. And I tried hard to remind myself of who he is. In September 2012, I was having a particularly difficult day. So I decided to ask the kids in kids' church to pray for me. I sat in the prayer chair, and they laid their hands on me and prayed. Some of you teenagers were there that day. I can still remember and feel your hands on me. I knew that if God was going to answer anyone's prayers, it would be theirs. But I didn't really think it through because every week after, someone, many someones, would run up to me and say, okay, Pastor Cheryl, did you get it yet? Did you get your miracle? Did you get that thing you were praying for? And I would muster up as much faith as I could, and I would say, soon, not yet. See, my friends, they are the concrete idea of what I'm trying to illustrate to you. They were joyfully expectant. There are so many reasons why God tells us to be like children, aren't there? They were joyfully expectant in the midst of not seeing the miracle yet. 
they reminded me every Sunday about who God was and what he can do. After countless more miracles, too many to mention, in November 2012, a baby was born already named Connor, meaning much wanted, long awaited. Do you want to know the name of the wonderful foster mom, her first placement, that cared for Connor until our paperwork was finished? You got it. Her name was Joy. And then 16 months later, Connor's biological brother named Jackson arrived four weeks early with this amazing fighting nature. And his name means God is gracious. I tell them often that I might not see my hands or my smile in them, but I will always see God's. They are the tangible, concrete expression of how much God loves me. Just like Steve said about peace last week, our source of joy, like peace, is not a thing or a place. It's a person. Jesus is our joy. And that joy gives us strength to face whatever is happening around us. He is a person and he is here. I encourage you to find your own definition of joy, but I'm going to let you hear mine. To me, joy is the undeniable, irrefragable suspicion that God is still working in the middle of my situation, all the while resting in his timing and his way. You know, we may not feel like we have a guaranteed outcome in this world, especially in the times that we're living in. But my friends, we have a guaranteed outcome. There will come a day that he will come and make all things right again. Isaiah 35, 10 says this, those who have been ransomed by the Lord will return. They will enter Jerusalem singing, crowned with everlasting joy. Sorrow and mourning will disappear, and they will be filled with joy and gladness. See, Advent is celebrating that Jesus has arrived, but is also anticipating the Advent, the next arrival, when Jesus comes again. And it's also about our participation of what we do in the meantime. When we look at the Christmas story, we see person after person who opened themselves up to the possibility of daring to be joyful. Elizabeth and Zachariah dared to believe that they could experience the joy of parenthood. Mary dared to accept the joy of giving birth to the Christ child. The angels appeared to shepherds, and they dropped everything in pursuit of the Savior. The wise men traveled tirelessly for months to find baby Jesus. See, the people in the Christmas story wholeheartedly and gleefully accept the joy that they are offered. Christ our Savior is no less present in 2021 than he was to the shepherds and angels many years ago. That same joy that motivated those shepherds to find him is still here for us to enjoy. We say around here that the God who spoke still speaks, and we, I would add that the God who did still does. We have hope and peace and joy because we have Emmanuel, God with us. God with us.
Now some of you might be watching online and you might have lost your joy. Maybe disappointment has robbed you of your joy. Things have been hard. Let me encourage you to draw near because Emmanuel, God with us, is still here. I'm going to invite you to pray with me. God, we thank you that you want us to be in relationship with you, that your love for us is so incredible, and you want our joy to be overflowing. I pray for my friends who maybe they just need an infusion of your joy today, a joy that goes beyond our circumstances. I pray that you would help us reflect on who you are and what you have done and ultimately to look ahead with this sense of expectancy that you are indeed at work. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you would like prayer, if you'd like to connect with someone, we would be honored to do that for you. Just uh, email us at info at gtburlington.org and someone will get back to you. I want to leave you with this verse in Romans 15, 13. It says this. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. I pray this week that your joy would be so overflowing that it spills out and is contagious to all of those around you. Be blessed, my friends. And you know what? On behalf of all of us here at Glad Tidings, we wish you a merry, joyful Christmas. We'll see you next time.